Our thanks to Chris Castellani from Locked On Tigers as he joined us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking Orioles and Royals. Hopefully, we hit every American League team, but we'll see. And maybe some National League teams as well. So sit back, enjoy the podcast. And if you have questions for the show, tigerssrd at gmail.com. Love questions. Love comments. Feel free to leave them. We really appreciate it. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to Tigers SRD. I am uh, Chris Brown here along uh, with Rogelio Castillo, as usual. And today we bring our guest, Chris Castellani from Locked on Tigers. Chris, what else uh, do you do? I, I got more credits than that, right? Well, I mean, Locked on Tigers, I, I co-host uh, two shows on maizeandbrew.com covering uh, the Brewcast, which is an all-encompassing um, Michigan podcast. And then we just do a, a Michigan Hoops pod, which it was a side project. And then the team decided to get really good this year. So it's, it's, this is the first year we've done it. So it's, it's, it's grown quite a bit, but yeah, those are kind of my two mainstays right now. Yeah. Yesterday was a huge bummer. <laughs> I did not see yeah, that coming. Burn, burn, burn the tape and win tomorrow. Yeah. Is the, I did, you know, yeah. I, I often uh, will record the game on DVR and then watch it afterward. And then I, I saw the score. I'm like, Nope. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no, really no. Yeah. There's but, no need. What did Raleigh do? I need to hit some, uh, some, Housekeeping stuff, or we just get get right into it. Um, I'll take care of that afterwards. We're we're good. All right, we're good. So yeah, Chris, thanks for for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, no we always we always ask our guests uh, a specific question. I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know. I'm bummed about this because you're, I think, quite a bit younger than us. So this is going to make us feel uh, sad. But what is your earliest baseball memory? Uh, you know what's you know what's weird because is that it's it's not a positive one necessarily. But it's, 2000, it's it's 2003. It's oh. that run was say what you will about them. And that was as inept a baseball team as there has ever been. You know, I guess you could throw the expansion Mets in there. But if you're not counting, counting an expansion team, the worst team of all time. But there was they were never boring in the sense that it was early in that year. I mean, it was 2003. I remember going into second grade as early as June. People being like the idea of has setting the, the losses record is legitimate. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, I think that 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 was kind of a wonderful starting off point because there's something to be because most people would say 2006, right? Or if you were to ask like a Michigan football fan, people would say, "Oh, 97." But there's something about experience having your first experience be loss, be an aptitude that made 06 and 2012 and 13 those seasons uh, a lot sweeter. So it, as as bad as that year was, I think that there were like there is kind of a core of people, myself included, that picked up on baseball because of what that team did or, or technically was not able to do near the end, winning their last couple games and uh, avoiding that uh, all-time losses record. I, I mean, that's a, that's a very good answer because I think that there's people who tend to go, uh, for example, when they start winning in 06, I was a team. I was a, you know, I've watched them throughout the nineties, throughout that 96 team. They had one of the worst ERAs of all time and terrible pitching. And then when I was like, you know, I was trying to be a hipster about it, like, oh yeah, now you're jumping on the bandwagon. Don't know where were you right now? Because right, yeah. you know, growing up in my area, there's a lot of Braves fans because Steve Avery went to a local high school near me. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was Braves or you you always had a secondary team and the Tigers that, that two thousand three team, I just think of Gene Kingsdale and all these guys that you've never heard from ever again. Warren, right. Yeah, Warren Morris, I think was the was the LSU second baseman. Who the hell are these guys? And AJ Hinch. Yeah, AJ Hinch. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Who, who, who would know who would know that he would be this the, the skinny scrot catcher would be this you know, a, a guy who would win a World Series as a manager. It's just mm-hmm. 
pick a random catcher from any team, and there's a good chance that 20 years down the road he's going to be a manager. They're going to end up being, yeah, we'll see. Well, Bobby Wilson's going to be managing yeah. the Yankees here in, in due time, I think. Yeah. James, Dane Sardina is probably somewhere. Right. But no, that's, that's interesting, Chris, because you know my, my mom uh, was a teacher, and uh, teachers always say that they remember either the really good kids or the really bad kids. Mm-hmm. They don't ever remember kind of the just average kids. Right. And it's one thing, like, if you, you know, your earliest memory was like, I don't know, 1998. Like, yeah. Right, just some random, some random yeah. ninety loss team. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. And I said that even in twenty nineteen, I kind of said that. Whereas like seventeen and eighteen were ninety eight loss seasons. Those are just boring. But when you have yeah. a team that is losing in ways that is almost impossible, where they're sink, where they're losing five of seven games a week, and they're you know, finding different ways to lose, it becomes, you know, in a, a, you know, it does become heartbreaking. But it does at a point become almost like this fever dream, where it's like, man, I'm. I'm intrigued to watch just to see how wh- what rabbit they're going to pull out of their head in terms of how they're going to lose the next game. So, yeah, if you're going to lose, lose spectacularly. That's how I uh, became with the Lions, basically. I think that's how most people did. Yeah. 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 I'll go ahead and hate watch this and see how they blow it. Exactly, yeah. I guess, I don't know, my patience with the Lions is just a bit where I'm not even, I, mean, I just don't care. I, honestly, I, I, I know it's just like I can't get even angry about it anymore because it just seems like the same thing over and over again. Not to get too straight off the topic, but when you get accustomed to losing, it just becomes one of those things. You're just like it's just, yeah. it's the same. It's, it's what definition saying. We're expecting a different result or doing the same thing, expecting a different result each and every time. I, I feel the same way because it's like the Lions have never had a 2006 Tigers, you know, one of those years where you get those breaks and the team comes together and yeah, maybe you don't win the whole thing, but for a year you get that impression of like, Hey man, we got a shot here. I've never come into a Lions season with legitimate hope. I mean, I've seen like three, maybe really good Lions teams and only one of them I thought had a shot of winning a playoff game. And, you know, they ended up getting hosed in Dallas that year, but no, I, I, I kind of, we're kind of on the same page there. Yeah, Chris. I mean, remember you you swore off the Lions, and then every year it's well. I think you swore them off for good. But uh, so let's get into the off season a little bit. And I know that kudos to you, by the way, for doing the the podcast every day. And I'm sure that at some point, getting into the doing talking the Tigers the entire time. Mm -hmm. There's there's various interests. I know you have a lot of them. But what team impressed you in the off season? I mean, it's it's the most obvious answer, but I just love what the Padres are doing. I think what Preller's done there is is second to none. And, and he's just focusing on him a second. He's found, gone from borderline disastrous to a, a, a force to be reckoned with. I mean, when he was hired there, people kind of forget about this. He went all in going into that 2015 season when they got Kemp and Upton and Kimbrell. And, and people thought that that was going to be a team that was going to compete for a, a wildcard spot. And they... They failed spectacularly and Bud Black ended up getting fired and it was a real it was a real disaster for them. And it's been several years and the job they did building up the farm system was incredible. And I, I think that but this offseason, especially there's something to be said about a team that is noticeably all in as they should be and is set for the present without sacrificing their future. You look at what they gave up for Darvish. You look at what they gave up for Blake Snell, two pitchers that. I mean, would it surprise either of, uh, you know, any of us if either one of those guys won a Cy Young this year? And yet they didn't give away, I don't think, any of their top five prospects. You know, Mackenzie Gore is still going to be getting called up here pretty soon. They added some pieces to the bullpen with Melanson. And by the way, you still have a guy in Tatis who looks like he's going to be an MVP candidate for the next decade. I They're the obvious choice. And I give them credit because you know, that is that is maybe the toughest division to win in now. 
because you have a Goliath at the top. I mean, you have a team that is in the Dodgers that is closing in on a decade of unprecedented success. I mean, they are reaching that point that the 90s Braves reached where it's like, all right, you can pencil everybody else in for second or third. But we got one team that's going to finish, you know, atop the standings. I think you look at what uh, the Padres did this year going for it, not sacrificing their future. It's it's the easy answer, but I kind of feel like it's one of the only answers, really. And for for me, it's we've we talked about this because the NL East is such a it's such a deep division because any team between right. Atlanta, the uh, you get the Nationals, even the Marlins. The Marlins have uh, Marlins have quietly done a better a good job mm-hmm. of not doing what San Diego's done in terms of not giving up the pro- top, top prospects and in Cecil Sanchez, I think it's going to break out this year, but mm-hmm. I like the nationals what they did because it was kind of a low key. They, they signed Kyle Schwarber. They signed Brad hand those straight from their bullpen. And it's a lot of like low key signings, but it's enough to where I think based off the, how much that division is so competitive. It's just, it keeps it up with Atlanta who really, I mean, Atlanta signed Drew Smiley. It was important for them to sign Osuna, but overall, Charlie I, I Martin. Yeah, Charlie Morton too yeah. as well. Yeah, and they strengthened their bullpen. But I thought that there was nothing that Atlanta did. The Nationals kind of kept up with Atlanta, um, and that's I, I know I thought the Nationals had a low key offseason outside of the, of course, the Mets too. No, I, I agree with you completely, and I think that now that they've won a World Series and the pressure is off, you can kind of take take a step back and realize that the Washington Nationals, for close to a decade now, have been a prime example of just stability in the major leagues. I mean, every year since 20, 2012 is their breakout year, but really every year since then, you know, some years have been different than others. You've gone into the season being like, you know what? They got a shot. Like some years they've been the favorite, some years they haven't, but you look at the core they've built up. You know, they've done a good job. They've, outside of Strasburg, they have struggled at points with starting pitching development. You know, guys like Joe Ross kind of just flaming out a little bit, but they do a great job in free agency, like as good as almost any other team. You look at the hit rate that they've had with with Scherzer and with Corbin, and I like the guys that they just added. You know, they went out, they, well, Eaton was acquired in trade several years ago, but he was a key piece to that World Series team. I think that's that's an organization that was so maligned for so long for coming up short you know, in the NLDS so many times, but they, they are a big market team that spends money rather wisely. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's a weird division. I think it, that was especially a good move on their part doing what they did because as good as the Braves are, they're yet to throw that kind of knockout punch in free agency that say, and I know this team hasn't had a ton of success, but say like the Phillies did a couple of years ago where they flexed their muscles and were like, All right, we're going to go out and get Bryce. They re-signed Marcelo Zuna, which was a huge deal, but that there's four teams in that division that I could realistically see winning it. And considering, considering the experience that the Nats have and the moves that they made, it wouldn't shock me to see them atop that division at the end of the year. What about you, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I I think you mentioned it and we talked about it before, but like, I I do think you have to appreciate what the Mets did. Mm, Um, For sure. I mean, mean, you're going to go get Francisco Lindor and you get Carlos Carrasco thrown in just for fun. Uh, you know, who knows? I'm still not a huge believer in James McCann, but, uh, you know, whatever. It wasn't like a, a su- super uh, cash outlay on that. So I think, you know, and then what they resigned Stroman for a year. He 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 picked up his option. He yeah. was going to opt out and then he opted in. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, and then who else? They traded, uh, what did they trade Mats for somebody? But uh, no, I mean, I, I thought that, uh, I don't know. I just like to see teams spend money and go for it. That's, that's mm-hmm. the same reason we like the Padres and, and, same reason with the Nats. The Nats, like you were saying, Chris, they they do well in free agency. It reminds me a little bit of the way Tigers used to do it under Mike Illich, where they would just go get the stars, go get the stars, and spend the money. And you just don't do that anymore. No, I'm with you completely. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially because, I mean, the one thing about, and they also signed Tehan Walker, who I thought the Tigers should have gone after and made the multiple multi-year deal. And, and, and I know you mentioned that too, Chris, and it's just one of those things where I admittedly was frustrated because a lot of, you know, there's some people on Twitter who are like, oh, he's not worth the money. But in reality, he's just getting, he's just turning about to turn 30. Um, some of the, the FIP numbers were a little high than you expected, but still based off the market that was out there, I mean, for example, they, they gave uh, what New York did to trade Toronto to Steve uh, Metz was pretty smart, considering that I think Metz is not nearly the pitcher he was a few years ago. No, but yeah. it's I like the Walker signing, too, because the strengths and they, they really went out of their way to strengthen up the rotation. And I thought the Tigers would go ahead and do that. I mean, Julio Tehran is yet to be seen. Because based off his ERA numbers last year were terrible, but you just wonder, okay, maybe it's COVID. You also have to kind of take that aside, but still, I, I mean, the Mets, even outside of the big number of the big trade, I thought they had a really low key, not low key, but you know, the Mets are never low key, but you get what I'm saying, like strengthen their uh, well, pe- people are down on them a little bit because when Cohen came in there, it seemed like they were going for everybody. And I think general belief was that between Springer and Bauer, they were going to get one of those guys. And when they didn't, there was kind of a Mets going to met kind of thing. But as I mean, as we've learned, even when Dombrowski was here, people swing and miss at free agents all the time. And there were even a lot of people in the aftermath of the Bauer signing, seeing the money he got being like, man, they can spend the same amount of money and retool their team and be just as successful. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I think that that's more on par with the kind of team the Mets should be having over the next decade or so, which is a team that, I mean, they're in the biggest uh, you know sports market in, in, in America. They should be spending more than they have or did when Wilpon was there. Yeah. And, and we heard to saw today that uh, the Mets thought they had Bauer. I they saw actually- that. Too, yeah. Well, yeah, there was, yeah, like they, they were even like sending texts to, that's why Bob Nightingale broke the story or he tried to break the story that, that they had him because they thought they did. And I think they probably had the same offer as the Dodgers, maybe even a little bit better. Mm. Uh, and, you know, like you said, sometimes the free agents, you know, they get to pick, they get mm. to pick where they go. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you have your choice between the Dodgers and the Mets, you're probably going to go to the Dodgers because they won everything last year. Mm-hmm. Although what did concern about this offseason a little bit was more of the have and the have nots and, and that power balance. I think that's right. something that concerns. The one thing I love about baseball growing up is that any team, the parody, I mean, you saw the Royals win the World Series a few years ago with the, what was it, bad walk rate or, or some strange statistic that. Yeah, they were, they were very straight. Yeah, they didn't, they weren't like, they did it with defense basically and speed. It's it, 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 hitting the, putting the ball in play. If you're looking at any, like statistic to lean towards what it what requires a championship roster they will be the outlier I feel like for the next 50 years I, I mean every team's done it with starting pitching they didn't have I mean you know they had so so okay, yeah. it was it was serviceable considering what they had in the pen every team's done it with power they didn't have a ton they were a team that won in a rather old-fashioned way they didn't strike out they ran the bases really well and they had one of the greatest bullpens of all time and they will forever be like the outlier of outliers agreed but like and, you said and, okay. really, no i was just i was just thinking like you know the oakland a's were like the biggest team mm-hmm. when we were kids they had all these stars yeah, on them and they, yeah like eggersley and canseco and mcguire and ricky henderson and dave stewart and bob welch and they just you know and now you think about it now like weird you know they're yeah. the smallest market team or they act like it at least. Or I even think of that 03. I always think of that 03 Marlins team too. That's though. another one too. Yeah. yeah. And that's another one too, where it's like you, I think of 
they, Jeff Jeffrey Loria, who I've, I've ripped on for years because I think he's one of the most terrible owners of all time. Just the way he, the, the gaudiness of that Marlins park that was, he created the aesthetic he created and just the, how he treated people like idiots, even how he got the Marlins from owning the Expos was shady as hell. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, that old three teams, one of those teams, like, I don't know if we're going to see that again, because teams just keep arming up and arming up. I mean, the, the Dodgers, for, I mean, for Christ's sake, Chris, I mean, we've talked both of you guys, you, you guys both know this too, that 2016 draft class by the Dodgers. Jeez. OP, I mean, like, yeah. How many guys get I me? Mean, how many guys? Oh, how many regulars can you have in one draft? The Dodgers are going to tell you, oh, seven or eight. That's cool. And and right. and the Tigers are like, yeah, maybe we'll get one. Every one, three and years. one and a half. I mean, sure. that 2016, was it the 2016 draft class, Chris, or the 2017 one? Or both? For which? The Tigers. For the, the Tigers, 2017 was, 2017 was Alex Fido. And, I had a first round and then nobody after that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that was even. In fa- and over the last several years, outside of first round picks, that hasn't been that great. But that was the one thing where this serious problems arose when Dombrowski was here that no one no one really paid attention to because the team was so focused on winning at the major league level, which is fine. But the uh, attention to detail regarding drafts and scouting and player development completely went to the wayside. I, I mean, they just kind of the, a lot, every single draft they kind of swung and missed on. And, you know, sometimes you just have bad luck. I mean, drafts in especially in major league baseball are kind of a crapshoot, but when you have a team like the Dodgers, that should have been when Dombrowski was here, kind of the team that they were, that, that stability they were going for. Cause the Dodgers have never tanked. The Dodgers have never been bad. Even in my lifetime, I can't recall that many seasons in which the Dodgers have been, I mean, they've been so-so maybe an 80-something winning team, but they have not had a lot of uh, 90 lost seasons, and yet they draft. And yet every year they have seven prospects in the top 100. So, yeah. I mean, it, we'll get to the farm system in a second, but right. before we do that, it's it, I think about what the Frank McCourt days are probably the only time the Dodgers have had really a, like a bad spell in my lifetime because that's when they were trying to buy free agents and they went away from what worked, where at one point they had, I think what they had, Mike Piazza, um, had El Nomo and I think Eric Carlos is like three straight rookie of the years in the 90s. I think That's they had, I think they had five straight. Uh, they had Raul Mondesi too, oh, I yeah. think. And I think, uh, yeah. and then there was the one oddball. His it was like Shea Hillenbrand or something like that, but it wasn't Shea Hillenbrand. He was a Hillenbrandian. I don't know, I forgot his <laughs> name, but uh, oh, it was it the guy who played for Boston later or my Ty? Was it a Todd? Todd Hollinsworth? Was that oh, Todd Hollinsworth? Okay, all right, that yeah, played for the Cubs maybe too. I, I can't remember off the top of my head right I'm now. I have to go look now. But talk about yourselves. <laughs> so you mentioned the Tigers the state of the farm system right now, Chris. And, and the, one of the things that we talked about just now is the, the high draft picks. And we talked about a little bit about their little history, but there's some guys under the radar. Chris and I have talked about Brian Packard a little bit, but what are some guys to you that I think could, in your, your opinion, could emerge and, and kind of stand out a little bit versus the Casey Mize and the headliners that we always mm-hmm. hear about? You know, he, this is a guy who was a headliner at one time and pretty quickly fell off and he's coming back now. Hopefully I'm the one guy who still kind of like believes in Alex Fiedo. I, I, I'm that I'm, cause I just, the I, I loved watching him in Florida at Florida and you know, you know, me f- four years ago before I was a little bit more seasoned in my baseball knowledge was like, Hey, really good college pitcher. That'll translate. Not knowing that there's a lot of things you need to work on, but I, the st- stuff has never been an issue with him. And 
given how good his slider was really at all levels. I mean, I know he struggled a little bit uh, right out of Florida and his stock dropped pretty much immediately, but you saw in, in 18 and 19, he, the mechanics were, were a bit better uh, delivery, not as wonky, um, not as many moving parts. And I think he could have a, a solid ceiling as a back end of the bullpen kind of guy, you know, keep trying him out as a starter if you want, but where the problem is with the Tommy John, that's it, Most pitchers are able to come back from it, but that's still a crapshoot. You never know. Sometimes you have a Steven Strasburg who comes at, comes back and is, is really good. Or sometimes you have a guy who just kind of, you know, uh, doesn't pan out. I, I think with that down with the depth on that slider, and the kind of the the live action on the two seam fastball that he had that he featured when he was in Florida. If he can regain that even a little bit, I'm there's still a part of me that's like, all right, maybe they got something there because I think that the Tigers took him on. They when he was drafted in the first round, there were a lot of people who said, okay, they drafted up for this guy. Like this was, they did not think that he was going to go as high as he did. They kind of took him on as a bit of a project, and until the injury. Outside of that bad, uh, those some of those bad starts he had right out of Florida, I, I think that he was starting to kind of ascend a little bit. Uh, not the highest ceiling, not Cy Young potential, potential, probably not worthy of being a guy who's drafted in you know in top fifteen, but serviceable, good enough. And, and so I, I'm, I still believe in him a little bit. And I know a lot of people have been kind of down on him because of the injury, and I get that completely. But I, I think there's still something to work with there with Alex Fieda. I'm in total agreement with you there. I, I, we talk about it now. I think people had to adjust their expectations. And I like what you said, you know, I, I think it's, he's probably a bullpen arm. I often compare him to Alex Wilson, who people, people don't remember him in college. He was a hard throwing pitcher in college hmm. and uh, in the pros, he, he had like three, four good years with the Tigers out of the bullpen, a couple of really good years. Um, mm-hmm. and, and mostly on the strength of his, you know, he wasn't a strikeout pitcher, but it was the strength of that slider, or I guess it may have been a cutter, but uh I, yeah, I can see something like that with Fido for sure. Plus, he's you know he's taller. Maybe he'll get a little bit more downhill playing on it. But right, that's an interesting one for sure. Just gotta I, wait another year. I, I was, I was just, I think the one thing that I, people soured on the most was was it twenty eighteen when he gave up eighteen. It was it twenty eighteen twenty nineteen when he gave up eighteen home runs in Double A. And I think yeah. maybe that was just a byproduct of him maybe testing out some pitches. And I, I saw that his numbers outside of second time through the order were pretty high. So I think you guys are both honest something about bullpen but maybe well, it was just test out pitches too and one thing he's never been shy about attacking the strike zone he's not a guy who walks a lot of people he, he throws the ball down the, down the strike zone mm-hmm. and you know home runs be damned and yeah i caught him that one year but uh you know i i, I think it's probably control over command but he could probably refine his command enough eventually to, to get the edges more but mm-hmm. i don't know he's definitely going to be an interesting one to watch he's getting old now unfortunately though but yeah that's yeah, the other yeah, 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 part well, yeah, I mean, you draft him out of college and we're talking, he was 21 then and mm-hmm. time flies. We're coming up on four years now. So, I mean, it's kind of, yeah. yeah, it's kind of, he's got to show something soon, but you know, he, at the same, another guy that I think could be comparable to him. I think back to Shane green. I mean, you remember when Shane green was with the tigers and he had those first three starts in Detroit where it's like, Oh my God, this guy's, this guy's going to win a Cy Young here. He's, he's dealing. And he had that really weird uh, finger injury where, where mm-hmm. he was, he like almost didn't have circulation to his hand from what I remember this like six years ago. So forgive me if I don't have you know, all the details. Well, you're, 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 you're dead on about that. He was cold. It was his fingertips were cold or something. Yeah. I think yeah. I know. Yeah. 
Two fingers were cold, two fingers were warm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to kill any pitcher. But he it took him time. It wasn't until his mid to late 20s. But when he found it, he found it. I mean, the he was very solid in 2017, did not have a great year in 2018. But when he when he was healthy, that stuff, that's that slider, you know, similar repertoire, that slider uh, two seam fastball combo really worked for him. And, and I could see a, a similar kind of career path, hopefully with Fieda. I'm shocked he's still available. I'm surprised nobody. Yeah, he's he's looking for. But he's one of those pitchers that I think has kind of been. I want maybe not disrespected because it's not like he's had some amazing career. But when he was traded by the Tigers in 19, the one of the reasons why he didn't have as many suitors as, as I think Avila thought he would was because there were a lot of advanced analytics who looked at FIP, you looked at hard hit rate that made you think that okay, he's probably going to come back down to earth. But just because he was wasn't putting up a sub one ERA doesn't mean the guy's not a, a serviceable major league reliever. Like I think the more it wouldn't surprise me to see the Braves just just snag him back up and maybe add him as another piece of their pen. I, yeah, I always I I always knew if he was at full health, um, the sky was kind of the limit in terms of stuff. And, and I do still think there's an alternate reality out there where he would have been a very effective major league starter. It's just injuries got in the way. Yeah, I mean, even I, I'm still a little miffed too. Like maybe a team who def, definitely needs bullpen help, like Detroit. It, it, it may just be I, that it's crazy. He's probably yeah. got a dozen, uh, you know, minor league deals with a spring training invite, and he's probably like, no, no, sign me to yeah. a real deal. Yeah, so. yeah. His numbers are much better indicated in that. And in terms of prospects, I know that I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to ask your opinion about Jake Rogers, who was off to a bad start, but I know he hasn't really faced a lot of live pitching, but in terms of the Jake Rogers train, one of the things I predicted, or I made a prediction on the Morrissey Bengals is that he would make the team as a backup catcher. And so far he's made me look like an idiot, but that being <laughs> said, it is only four or five games, or three games into the four, four games into the spring training schedule. And so I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to also, you know, jump into the, the, the Willie Castro hype and all the other stuff. But that being said though, to you, does Jake Rogers make this team or does he go down the triple A? <sighs> I've been I've started my expectations my my view on him has slid you know pretty fast over the last year or so and I look I acknowledge he's got a much higher ceiling than probably any other catcher on the roster. I mean the idea of a guy who's a great game caller keep guys can keep guys off the base pads and it's weird because the expectations for him, I don't think have ever been like sky high. If the if you have a guy, a defensive catcher, because for the most part, most catchers in baseball aren't great hitters. I mean, it's rare that you have a Posey or a you know Posey mid twenty tens or or a Muto, somebody like that. You know, Yachty in his prime, even he's fallen off substantially offensively. Most of them are guys who are good game callers, good defensive catchers who can run it, you know, catch up to a fastball and put up a low 700 OPS and a, a two war and call it a day. It's not that high of expectations. You know, so far, yeah, he's been incredibly disappointing. What was weird about 2019 when he got called up because the numbers were not good offensively 481 OPS is abysmal, but it's a cup of coffee. I'm not going to knock the guy that much. What was weird is that defensively he didn't look great when he got called up in 2019. You saw, you know, pitch framing was fine, but you saw several passed balls. It seemed like he was he was just a bit anxious out there. And of course, look, first first time in the major leagues probably happens to a lot of guys. The problem now, 
is the guy's like 20, uh, as we brought up with Fiedo, the guy's like 26, 27 years old. I mean, they've, they've waited for several years for this guy to emerge as the catcher of the future. And last year really soured me. Cause like, you know, I don't know what went on in the taxi squad, but I, I'm something must've happened in order for this organization to believe that Eric Haas gave the Tigers a better chance and no disrespect to Eric Haas, but he's, he's a journeyman catcher going up against a guy who for many, you know, for several years, Tigers believed was kind of the guy of the future here. I don't know if it was to send a message. I, I really don't know. So I, this year is going to be, I think his, his last chance before he becomes kind of just an afterthought. I, I believe there was a reason why they drafted Dingler when they did, you know, I, I part, if Rogers would have been called up in 2019 and been serviceable, I don't know if they would have drafted him then. Uh, I think Dingler all of a sudden becomes the catcher of the future. But yeah, I mean, I, I it's why I didn't mind the Ramos signing. I, he's leaps and bounds ahead of every other catcher they've thrown out the last several years, at least offensively. Um, I, For the team's sake, I hope he makes the team out of spring training as a backup catcher. Because again, I mean, you know, you don't want to be too mean to the guy, but like, let's be real. Grayson Griner, in terms of just offensive production, is probably in the bottom 10 in terms of least productive offensive players in baseball. I mean, that's that's just a fact. You look at the OPS, you look at you know, his baseball, Savant pages, just outside of catching up to the occasional fastball, that's it. Um, so, I mean, it would be better for the organization if Rodgers finds something out of spring training. But I even noticed, and this is a, a bit of a sidebar here, but you noticed a couple days ago when he had, when Hinch had Rodgers bunting, you know, in the like in a second at bat of a spring training game, and something Hinch brought up was the idea of we want to make him into more of a versatile offensive player. Now, I, I, I think Hinch is going to be great, and I'm trying to not read between the lines too much, but to me, that means guy's not a great hitter. But if we can get the most out of the <laughs> gifts that he has, then maybe we could get something out of him. If we have a guy who can lay down a bun, if we have a guy who can catch up to the, you know, catch up to a fastball and hit a home run, or maybe has some extra base pop. Then maybe we could we could get more out of him than some other people think. So yeah, he, it's he's one of those guys. And then Kristen Stewart's another one where it's if you don't prove it this year, you're you're kind of the the leash is getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, yeah I mean that was a good point. I, I was I don't know if anybody asked Hinch about that. If they did, I, mean, I didn't I think, see the answer. I think Koski did, and, and his okay. response was like, "Yeah, we're gi- giving it a go here." And I think the exact words were, "We we want to make him into a more versatile." offensive player because yeah because uh, hinch famously like the astros never bunted never sacked right, i know right um, I, know. I was thinking that too so yeah it, it does you know there were there are certain things a couple things i guess we can use this as a, a nice segue to roll into spring training and there are a couple times this spring that was one of them and the other one was letting casey mice uh go out there and, and kind of pitch his way out of trouble throw 45 pitches in his first outing which seemed like a bit much to me i think Garrett cole threw like 30 and they pulled them uh, mm-hmm. But it seemed like Hinch wanted to see what Mize had in him, basically. It, and I think, yeah. I think he's kind and, of testing these guys. And I also, when they asked Hinch about it, because I was, I was so-so about how Mize threw the ball in his first outing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, first start of spring training. But I think some of the issues that persisted a year ago when he got called up to the major league level were kind of there in his first outing, which was command being a little bit spotty. Stuff is not going to be the issue with him. The guy was number one overall pick. Stuff is not going to be a problem. He did pitch out of it, and Hinch said he thought he threw the ball well, which to me means that there was something that he saw that made him think, okay, he's capable of uh, of pitching out of, out of this, which ultimately he he did. So yeah, no, that was something I noticed too. It's forty five in his first first outing, and look, pitched out of it, no runs. I'm not going to complain too much, but we saw that 
at several points last year in the limited action he saw the major league level. I remember, I think it was a start against Cincinnati, maybe where he he didn't pitch terrible. He only gave up one or two runs, but was the pitch count was being elevated early. We saw you know splitters being spiked in the dirt, you know, for, you know, forty five feet. So yeah, he's he, he's working through it. But yeah, I I, I noticed that uh, as well that that was a bit. He stretched him a little bit even through two innings. Yeah, even I, I thought that he was just trying to nibble too much. And then when he started pounding the strikes a little bit, when he was locating his fastball and that third strike, I think it was right there on the inside corner. Was, I thought he did a really good job with that. Even that splitter on the, I think what's the second strikeout. Yeah. That was just, that was, that was vintage Mize and what he's capable of. Then it's almost, but then like, you know, we've seen the, the battle of the bullpens right now in terms of pitchers that are just going to throw out there and, Buck Farmer today got real roughed up and he had the, I think the worst outing among bullpen. He did by yeah. fair amount. Yeah. Yeah. Two, uh, two thirds of an inning, three hits, four runs. And you got to be encouraged though. On the other side of it, Daniel Norris going out there, throwing a slider effectively, two scoreless innings, two strikeouts. He wants to be in the rotation. He, he's discussed that at length. I don't know about you guys, but I, I thought Daniel Norris, I mean, in my opinion, I think he should be in the rotation because of just because the lack of, who do they have in camp that could be a fifth or sixth starter? It's a good point. You know, because like Tyler Alexander is good. I, I think Tyler Alexander is good in limited duty because, again, as he goes through the order, the second time, third time in order, the batting order just creeps up exponentially. And so I, I, I was encouraged by Norris's start. I don't know what you guys thought about Norris's start today. Well, you see, I, I agree with basically everything you said except for the last part. I like the idea of him coming out of the pen as a long relief guy because, for one, there's something interesting about the idea of, you know, most relievers, the reason they are relievers is that they have two really good pitches, right? right. The idea of a guy coming out of the pen as a, a bridge guy in the fourth, fifth, sixth inning and being a guy who throws four different pitches could be, uh, to me, could be a, a nightmare scenario for opposing teams. And last year, when he did come out of the pen, he found all of a sudden a, an uptick in velocity that we hadn't seen since he first got called up here in 2015. And I think the knowing that, hey, man, you're only going to throw 40 pitches uh, allowed allowed him to rev things up a, a little bit. And today, look, today I thought he looked great in term and like he he wants to be in the rotation like us like like you said. Um, and look, if he if he if he pitches like he did today, he's going to find his way there. I, I just I think him and Alexander, the idea of having these two, I mean, lefty specialist is is not the right word because they're they'd be long you know long relief guys. But these two two lefties coming out of the pen who have been starters in the past, mixing things up, I, I think is is really appealing but yeah he's been that is the one weird thing about last year's team is there were for the first time I don't know, since 84 there were several pieces out of the pen where you're like all right they got they got some here like i think yeah norris pitched probably the best baseball he pitched since in 2015 when he got called up and and some other guys so yeah i, I he's gonna fight for a rotation spot but either way it seemed like there, there's a confidence that he has back that it seemed like he'd lost there for a year or two uh, after the Tigers acquired him. Yeah. Anybody, uh, anybody else sticking out to you this? Uh, I mean, it's, it's early, obviously we've got three games, four games. Uh, well, but, I'm uh, not going to, I'm not going to knock what happened to Buck Farmer today yeah. because he is. And you know what? He's been in the organization forever. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I, I will take responsibility for contributing to memeing him to death and crap like that. But you know what? The guy's become a very good professional major league reliever. The stuff is good. His mechanics have always been pretty whack, but he's, he's done a better job with it recently of just kind of refining his delivery. And Dickerson said on the broadcast today that, 
he was really working on his slider because he felt like last season the fastball changeup combo became a little bit predictable. So, and that's what spring training is for. When you have a guy like that who's gonna make the team regardless regardless of what he does, uh, you're gonna work on stuff. And, and I think he did today. He had trouble getting the slider over. It didn't, you know, he got got beat up a little bit. So I don't take much out of what he did. I mean, if we're just talking pitchers, I'll, I'll say this. And I, I talk about this on on lockdown tomorrow. I disappointed maybe isn't the right word because the guy's been a project from the beginning, but I remember last spring training before the shutdown, when I watched Mize, I said, all right, that guy's, he's a major league pitcher. Like He'll take his lumps like they all do, but he's got the stuff. I think the command is good enough now where he, he, he I've seen him face major league talent. I think he's ready. And I watched Scooball and I felt the same way. Every time I've watched Manning, outside of how impressive the numbers in AA have been and how great this stuff is, probably the best stuff in the organization, arguably, or at least the best fastball by far. I always said, you know what? I'm still seeing a thrower and not quite a pitcher. And today when I watched him, I thought it's the best I'd seen him against major league talent uh, in spring training since you know he'd been a part of the organization. I saw some people saying, oh, the fastball is only 93 to 95. It's March 3rd, so he's, he's going to get that back. And I think the development of the curveball and his other off-speed stuff makes him extremely dangerous. And I think there is – it's where I do give the organization credit because I think there is a reason why the other two guys got called up and he didn't a year ago. Outside of the forearm tightness, which near the end of the year they noticed, and it seems like he's, he's back to full health. Now, I, I think that he's always been a project. When they drafted him out of high school, he was a project. And mechanics are far better. I like how how much better the off-speed stuff looks. I thought that was a very good outing by him today, and I hope he's able to build off it because he's another one where I think the difference, one of the big differences between Hinch and, and Garden Hire is that Hinch is kind of subliminally, when you listen to him in the press conferences, he's really pushing a lot of these young guys to to he wants to see them make the roster out of out of spring training. He's talked about it with Paredes. He's talked about it with Willie Castro. He's talked about it with Matt Manning. And unlike previous years where it didn't matter, like I even before the pandemic, if if Casey Mize would have been perfect through every single one of his spring training starts a year ago, he was not making the team out of spring training. I think they have the possibility with that if Manning continues to to develop uh, and and show the kind of stuff that he showed in his most recent outing. Uh, he he'll he'll have a shot here. Yeah, oh, I was. Okay. I was. Sorry, Chris, no, I was. I was I, looking I at you guys. I'm sorry. Was, That's okay. I was looking at your lips. You're looking at my. No. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. You know, I wasn't expecting him to. I think in general, he's probably not going to be sitting mid 90s. Uh, in even when he's you know fully ramped up, he's a guy who he can reach back for upper 90s if he wants to. But he was, you know, just trying to nice and easy. I, I saw the first pitch in both of his innings, his first fastball was like 91, 92, and then he was ramping up to 93. And, and you know, when he needed it, he'd have more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that well, you make a good point. You know, he's, he's a project, essentially, and he's made a lot of strides. But he still has more to go. I, I've been uh, just, you know, the few games we've seen, I've been kind of impressed with a couple of the young young hitters that we haven't seen much. Like I, I thought Akil Badu has had a couple of really good plate appearances yeah. and, and yeah. done some good stuff. And I've liked what I've seen from Zach short so far. I mean, you know, it's yeah. short, short, small samples, but uh, I don't know what, what you think about that. Well, no, I think that I think short also fits into the kind of mold of player that Hinch is interested in a guy who can play multiple infield positions, a lot of walks, a lot of homers in the minor leagues. I mean, the big star so far has been Willie Castro and that's, 
That's a really intriguing one because I that was one of the Avila trades where when it happened, everyone said, hey, you know what? Getting back this guy for Leonis Martin, good player, had a very you know solid you know first half for the Tigers in 2018. A lot of people said that's a win for Detroit, and he's hit in the minor leagues. He hit last year, though. You know, you not the prettiest baseball savant page. You look at you know hard hit. <laughs> there's there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that this was one of the luckier hitters in baseball a season ago. But he's off to a hot start right now, and that that changes the dynamic. If let's say they hit with him and he becomes a just serviceable major league player, 800 something OPS, drawn some walks, can hit for the occasional, you know, hit for occasional pop. It, the dynamic of the rebuild changes a little bit because uh, you look at other teams that have rebuilt, you know, and people like to give credit to GMs, but I'm sorry, as uh, Theo Epstein's one of my heroes, there is no way that Theo Epstein knew when he traded Scott Feldman that Pedro Strope was going to be appearing in 70 games a year and Jake Arrieta for a calendar year was going to be the greatest pitcher of all time. But they hit on those two guys that a lot of people didn't think that they would hit on and it ended up turning them into world champions. The Tigers have not had that kind of surprise guy that has turned out to be a, a solid major league player. They, they desperately want it to be Victor Reyes. And I don't dislike Victor Reyes. I think he's fine. He's the most talked about player on Tigers Twitter for reasons beyond me, but he's okay <laughs> for a rule five pick though. He's a, and, yep. and what, yeah, what you get for a rule five pick is what it's, they've already gotten more than I probably expected them to, but yeah, he's Willie Castro is the big one now where in terms of what he does defensively with this, look, you want to see improvement, but that doesn't matter a ton to me because there's five free agent shortstops available next off season. You can go out and sign one of those guys if you want to. Please do. But if he develops with the bat and you can move him around the diamond, maybe at second, maybe at third, um, all of a sudden you have a guy that you can plug into your lineup that isn't one of the big guns, that isn't Torkelson, that is green, you know, that isn't you know green going forward. So I think he's going to be a big one to watch. A lot of people have been talking highly about him. And uh, first, first at bat, a spring went 458 feet off of off of Ivan Nova. So, I mean, there's, there's clearly, there's a confidence to him and Hinch even honed in on, on him early being like, this is a guy I want to see. So hopefully he continues to develop. Yeah. And it's the, the sky who's discovered Ramon Pena has a history with the Tigers. He was one that helped them uh, actually believe it or not Bobby Higginson. And there was uh Ramon Tatiago and he did a lot of international scouting hmm. for the Tigers. And so there, there's a rapport there. The the player that's impressed me the most is Nico Goodrum. I mean, Nico Goodrum is high yeah. has had a really good camp. I thought today he was, I think it was two for two. He swung the bat. Well, I looked at hit and run play yesterday where he was, he's a smart player. I, I think to me, and this is my opinion. I, I might be alone on this Island, but that's fine. I think he's underrated in terms of everybody talks about Don Kelly. It's this big utility player. Right. Goodrum is a better utility player than Don Kelly ever was. I know. Yeah. Fan, oh, why are you ripping on Don Kelly? I'm not ripping on Don Kelly. No, I just don't understand. Yeah. You know, Don, it was Don, just, Flamingo. I, I, Don Flamingo. Yeah. The, the <laughs> Don Flamingo. Um, yeah, yeah, there's no, but, but it's it, to me, it's he had a gold gold glove caliber defense last year, playing yeah. shortstop, and it seems like it's kind of forgotten about. At least on, on, on Tigers Twitter, everybody's all about Victor Reyes and what have you. And then he did this; he did great work with the community. He gave water to Flynn. He was out there and nothing. But then I don't know, like Don Kelly farts, and everybody just like, oh, you know, I, I don't. I'm just well, anyway, it, I, you know. 
I think great I split. Think, I think part of what happened there is that Don Kelly is Don Kelly became this this weird kind of outlier where he was on a team with Miggy and Prince Fielder and Victor Martinez, and yet this guy was responsible for two monster you know moments in playoff games. But if you look at it objectively, there were. I could find 15 utility players in the league that were better than Don Kelly when he was here. Leland loved them and the fans loved them. But no, I think the thing with Goodrum that makes him so frustrating because he was not good with the bat last year. I mean, he struck out way too much. And, and But I think, and Hinch has even talked about this too, the ceiling on Nico Goodrum, when you look at his athleticism, when you look at the fact that he can hit for power, when you look at the speed and and how he's developed as a defender, I feel like there is somewhere in Nico Goodrum a guy who could put up like a five war. Honestly, like it's you, you, it, the same way that like if you go back and look at Ben Zobris's baseball reference page, you see several seasons of like four or five. He had a year where he had like a seven two war because he was versatile, good defender, never, never like a, a, a vaunted hitter, but a you know, World Series MVP, 800 something OPS. I feel like that's there in Nico Goodrum. What's been lacking has been the consistency and just simply the bat to ball skills. If he's a guy who could put the ball in play, you know, 10, 15% more than he was a season ago, you're looking at a guy who's going to be a, a really solid plus player for you. But it's the unfortunate thing about it is just the strikeout numbers were not, were, were too brutal last year for a lot of people to get really excited. But I, I get what you're saying. Cause if you have a guy, you know, it's kind of similar to, I mean, I, I He's not as good defensively, but like when Andrelton Simmons was coming up with the Braves, what everybody said was this guy's an amazing defender. All we need him to be is just relatively serviceable as an offensive player. And you got something and that's eventually what happened. Andrelton Simmons has had a very good career. If you could get something out of that uh, from Nico Goodrum, then you know, yeah, the, the, the dynamic of the team changes. Yeah. When, when Goodrum came up is in 2018, he was, he didn't play like every day, but he was playing all over the place. And he he put up a, a 101 WRC plus. So basically an average yeah. hitter. You add that, you take an average hitter and you have him play, you know, elite level shortstop defense. You're going to get, like you said, you're going to get a two, three win player at the bare minimum. And if basically he's a hit tool away from being a five tool player, like if he, you know, he has a, really, it's the most he has a Willie Castro look right. here. You know, he goes out there and it puts up a BABIP of like 370 one year. Then, uh, yeah, you're talking. It's, it's for him. It's kind of unfortunate that Willie Castro did what he did last year. I mean, for the team, it's good, but uh, and maybe eventually they'll just uh, give up and uh, you know Castro at second or left field or something like that and have good room at shortstop. But well, and, and Hinch has spoken multiple times about how enticing the idea of moving. Uh, Nico Goodrum around the diamond is as a defender. I mean, yes, he was great as a defensive shortstop, but I think Hinch believes he can be just as effective playing other positions. He he wants him to be for the Tigers what Marwin Gonzalez was for the Astros for those for several seasons there. Now, obviously, if there was one player, data sports this who was who benefited the most by the the trash can stuff, it was Marwin Gonzalez. But either way, you had a guy who on a World Series team led his team in RBIs. It wasn't Altuve. It wasn't Correa. It wasn't Springer or Bregman. It was Marlon Gonzalez and who also played eight different positions or seven different positions you know, throughout the season. I think he wants, he sees that when he looks at the athleticism of somebody like Nico Goodrum, he's just, and I think it's possible, but he's just got to get the bat going a little bit. Yeah, I remember when when Goodrum came in the camp last year. I was like, he just got swelled. It was like, <laughs> like you're like, holy, you know, like, damn, dude. Um, but, uh, one last thought before we move on uh, to the end of the podcast. The, the biggest thing in terms of, and 
the way AJ Hinch has handled the media so far, I, I gotta say that's a storyline to me because I just I liked his approach. I like his approach at the, the press conferences. He's in control, and the narrative it seems like. And then he, he talked about the lack of the, the the access part of it too about certain player or certain coaches, what have you. But I've been impressed with that and how he's handled it. I know people are still going to give him crap no matter where he goes because the cheating when he goes to New York or even goes back to Houston where he might, he might be some degree. I, I'm not really sure about that, but either well, way. Yeah. And I, 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 I thought so far I've really enjoyed the difference between him and Ron Gardenhire. And of course, Rick Anderson to Chris Fetter is night. Yeah. And- yeah. <laughs> shoot <laughs> but that's what I mean, that's another thing i've been impressed with so far um in terms of another storyline for spring training i just i've just liked the way he's been out there and, and handling everything every day no i'm i i think he's a great communicator and i think that's the biggest reason why he got another job in major league baseball is that he's 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 a he's good and he's a good enough soundbite for the media i i just love listening to him talk about baseball i think he's a really interesting baseball mind i like how he analyzes pitchers and analyzes position players i think he's a very very sharp guy now i i like the hire from the beginning i like the staff that he's brought in and look i i never like maybe at first i did i never had any issue with garden hire because i knew what garden hire was he was a guy who was who was needed for those three years was brought in to be somebody who was going to be accessible to the media nice guy, good soundbite, and keep the clubhouse loose while we lose 100-plus games a year. I mean, it's it's as thankless a job as anyone's ever had, but in terms of what they asked him to do, he did a serviceable job. But it, it really is night and day compared to just w- watching the press conferences, the way Hinge analyzes the game. It's like, I don't think this team's going to be very good, but I think he believes that he can do something with this team where they can be better than uh, other people believe uh, that they than they will be. So you know, I, I'm I've, I've been impressed with him. I was I was for the hire from the beginning. You know, I know there were people, and I got in many an argument with people about this that the sign stealing stuff was going to be a distraction. I think, especially with what's happened in the last year with COVID and the pandemic and the you know collect the players going back and forth with the owners. I think that's in the rear view. And I think he did a great job of kind of putting the kibosh on that from the beginning and being like, look, I know it's a part of my story. I get it. But those are my stories. They don't involve the Tigers and he'll have to answer for it. They played the Yankees in spring training a couple of days ago and he got questions about it uh, during the press conference. So he'll have to answer for it. But no, I I've been a fan of him for a while. I was a fan of the hire from the beginning. I am. I'm genuinely surprised by Avila's initiative like that was so surprising to me that like this guy who like the one of the most frustrating things about this this front office has been their passivity that waiting to the last second (laughs) thinking that you're outsmarting people when in reality people are looking at you and laughing like for him to call up AJ Hinge 30 minutes after the World Series ended was just so not in Avila move now of course I think he would have walked to the south side of Chicago and the White Sox just in a historical fashion messed that up. But you know what? This organization's had a lot of bad luck. We'll take some good luck. And, and so I'm I'm happy that he's here. I, I think there are still several issues within the organization. I don't believe that the manager is one of them. I like what he's doing. You know yeah. what? I, I got Chris, we got to give Alavila. Give him his due. You have to, you have to, yeah. like he did. I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised that he did that. Cause I thought, 
and this wouldn't have been an awful hire, but I thought that they were going to go with another kind, rel, you know, relatively nostalgic kind of fan favorite hire. Like I, I just figured Marcus Thames would be brought in and he'd be the manager here for them to swing for the fences the way they did was it was impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, it's one of the best moves <laughs> of the offseason by any team, I yeah. think, really. I mean, what do you think about Although I've always argued about, like, who knows what a manager really does, but of we've course. seen, you know, we've right. um, yeah, what I, was, I was listening to to our buddy Brandon Day. You know, he does a podcast yeah. with, and he had uh, David Laurela from Fangrass on there. And, and I don't remember who it was that made a really good point, but it was one of them that pointed out, like, you know, this is AJ Hinch. He was able to bring in George Lombard, who was on those Dodgers teams who have a, a, a a legitimate gripe with the Astros. Yeah. Uh, but he was able to bring him in and Lombard apparently had no hard feelings. And Chris Fetter comes along and, you know, he had many different options, but he came here, I think because of AJ Hinch. So I don't know. I, I feel like if it's good enough for these really good coaches, it should be good enough for the fans. I, I mean, I Tigers fans, I don't think have a, you know, a huge fight, but fans around baseball are just always going to brand him a cheater. And I think, uh, I don't know. I think it's probably, he served his sentence, whatever. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's funny about the the suspensions in general is that everyone talks. Oh, they and they did. They they cheated and they stole a World Series and these guys are scum. And yet, the second all of those Astros guys become free agents, everyone wants them. You know, they yep. it, because they are people aren't dumb. They're aware of the fact these guys are really good players. Yeah, the Lombard one was surprising because not only, I mean, it was surprising for two reasons. Actually, three. The, there was the the Dodgers connection. You know, they got they got hosed in 2017. The fact that he's leaving L.A., which right now is baseball paradise and, and mm-hmm. go, go, you know, joining Hinch's staff and, and three, the fact he interviewed for the managerial job. And so you take a guy who's essentially kind of probably one B in terms of who the Tigers might've hired and you bring him in. And yeah, I mean the, the Fetter hire I'm really excited about. Cause I, I followed that, that college world series run that Michigan had a couple of years, so much ago, fun. which oh, was a blast. Right. But what was interesting about that? was that it wasn't some Cinderella run. I mean, yes, I, in a way it was, but like they weren't winning games on wild pitches or walk-off errors. So they were doing it with really great pitching. I mean, Tommy Henry was was Clayton Kershaw that entire tournament, and, and you had you had Chriswell and, and Kaufman who were out there dealing. And it's like these were guys who all went to like local Michigan high schools that uh, that Backich and, and Fetter got a hold of, and – they they were all guys that went in the top you know ten rounds of the draft, so it wasn't it wasn't a fluky thing. And, and I know there were several Yankees fans who kind of wanted him to be the pitching coach. They like how analytically you know minded he is. Um, I think, and they brought in Coolball as well to be the hitting coach, who was the assistant hitting coach for the White Sox a season ago, who had you know maybe the best lineup in the American League. I, yeah, I mean, it's it's the first step because you, uh, the next step is having a solid roster. Cause I mean, there's, you look at some of the guys who've come, come through here. You could give Chris Fetter and AJ Hinch, Ryan Carpenter for 10 years. They're not going to turn him into Clayton. Kirk. And I'm no, no, no disrespect. He's doing well in Korea. I think. Yeah. It, hey, look, and you know what? I, I hope he has success. And he got, you know, he, he was, he was a sacrificial lamb once every fifth day, but you, you get my point. Is that like, right, no matter, absolutely. not like, Football, where I think if you give, I don't know, maybe last year was an exception, but I think if you give Bill Belichick uh, an average roster, he could turn it into a playoff team. It's not like that in, in baseball. I mean, they, a manager can only can create a solid atmosphere in a clubhouse. He can be, you know, analytically based and, and and do the best he can in terms of constructing a lineup. But it's up to the organization and the players to to get the most out of what they have. 
and it kind of it brings back to something you mentioned the 84 bullpen for example as one of the as an example of what it looked like last year it's the same thing with like when when people would as great as Sparky Anderson was he was great as the players he had he had a big red machine he had right. all that talent in the 80s but when you saw the Tigers did not provide the farm system and were able when you saw that they were not even spending any type of money to upgrade the facility Sparky had it throughout there the likes of Kevin Ritz I can go on and on about all the pitchers but what's Parky going to do? There was nothing. And it's, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. A manager only, and Chris and I have talked about this numerous times, a manager is going to make a difference on the morale of the player. They're going to rally him up a little bit. And the culture, set that culture, set that tone. Unlike what's, you know, it's just, it's, to me, I, I hate when people just say, well, the, the manager, it just, it, it, the manager is everything. And it's, it's not the way like it is in the NBA. I mean, the NBA, to a certain extent, the, he creates that culture and he also, a lot of the, depending on his scheme too, like Rick Popovich, but same thing, always, it's always going to come down to talent. So, and it's, but. it's something, it's why I'm always quicker than most to defend what Leland did here, because I think there is something to be said about, he took over a team, an organization that for 20 years had forgotten how to win. And in year one, I think that he kind of instituted a culture of of accountability and all of a sudden it became a team that knew how to win. And, you know, they had solid veterans. You know, you had Pudge, you had Kenny Rogers, which helped out a lot. But that was a team made up of a lot of guys that were either young or people that like nobody wanted. I mean, the 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 Mariners traded Carlos Guillen away for, you know, a, a you know, bucket of popcorn. Right. And, and so, and they all turned out to be solid major league players. And I hope that that's, that's the first step because, Pretty much every guy on this roster outside of me has never been a part of a team that has even sniffed a, a, a pennant race, even sniffed a, a playoff spot. And I think that's going to be going forward. That's going to be a key step is being like, hey, winning is going to be something that is not just accepted, but expected here. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of popcorn, by the way, um, so segue, with the, yeah, thank you. Um, so let's, you know, I know you've done movie reviews and, and those are pretty, pretty good. And with COVID, I'm, I'm sure perhaps maybe, maybe not, I'm not really sure, but in terms of catching up on movies you haven't seen or TV shows, mm-hmm. what are some of the ones that have stood out to you? And in, in terms of, I, I, for example, I know Chris and I have uh, talked about HBO Max, some of the cool things that been on there. I know Wonder Woman 84 came out and I was, Mm-hmm. Was, yeah, I wasn't sorry. crazy about it either. No, I mean the, the storyline just seemed uh, Kristen Wiig seemed a little more over the top than she normally yeah. is with some of her characters. But what movies or if there's been anything that's that you've gone back and maybe haven't seen before because you haven't had the opportunity, or, or what are some of the, your uh, favorites so far? Well, I said this my my favorite movie of of 2020, the movie that's kind of up for a lot of awards right now is is a movie that uh, called Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan. But that is. I acknowledge that's very serious, heavy subject matter. I think in terms of Oscar caliber movies that are a little bit more accessible, I loved The Trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix, the Aaron Sorkin movie. I think Aaron Sorkin, I mean, if he's not the best writer in Hollywood, find me one who's better. I mean, what he did with Social Network and The West Wing and Moneyball, and now he wrote and directed this. I I thought that was it was a prime example of a movie that took some very heavy subject matter and inject similar to what he did with Moneyball and even in social network as well, where he took subject matter that could have been very kind of banal and, and infused it with just this, this shot of adrenaline and energy and made it fun and made it enjoyable. I guess there's two there's, you brought up HBO max. There's two HBO max movies that uh, I'd recommend that one of them I loved. One of them I was just okay about, but I think that, 
five, 10 years from now, there's going to be a lot of think pieces about pandemic movies, movies that were dropped onto streaming services that people kind of overlooked. And one was a documentary called Class Action Park, which was it was one of my favorite movies. Oh, that was I love that one. Yeah, it was hilarious. Oh, right? And I yeah. was so um, and, and it was so a movie that I, I think I showed it to my parents and they thought it was great as well. Uh, very insightful, funny, you know, tragic at points as well. But it, one of those things that was so. I don't know, it's just so interesting to me that not that long ago, something like this existed where people would just go to a place and know full well they might get a concussion or break their arm. And I said in my review, I was like, I thought that was strange. But then I remembered like three years ago, people were eating Tide Pods. So I guess it's like we're, it's <laughs> the, next, the next evolution of, of you know people trying to get themselves hurt. But there's that. And then what the strangest movie I watched during the pandemic, and, and I there's probably going to be a lot of people who might watch it and hate it, but I just it was so odd that I, I I have to give it acknowledgement is a movie with Seth Rogen called An American Pickle, where he plays a, a, a Jewish factory worker in the 1900s who falls into a vat of pickles and is basically brined for 100 years, wakes up essentially from a coma and meets up with his grandson, who's also played by Seth Rogen and decides to start a business. And it's one of those movies that is so weird. That I think several years from now, people are going to pick up on it and be like, man, I, how did I not hear about this? Because Seth Rogen's a huge star, right? And he, I, Seth Rogen has that ability to take premises that are silly or weird and give them kind of this new, this life, this heart to them. And it's basically kind of like a love letter to his religion. And, and I found it, it's not great. It's not amazing. But I think it's one of those movies that several years from now, people are going to dig up and be like, man, I I'm I'm surprised I never saw this and I, it went straight to HBO Max. So yeah, those are those are some that I would uh I would recommend that that stood out to me that uh I think maybe people missed or I just highly recommend in general. Yeah, what I liked about Action Park too, it captured I think the the bullying part too or like oh, the yeah. What they're talking about, like some of the almost like you see the social the the clicks a little bit with them, like pushing people in the water, like encourage people to go in the water, you know, and and like this, even like that. I felt like in a way you think about every single New Jersey stereotype that's out there, it captures all that East Coast feel to it. And um, talk about Seth Rogen. The one movie I did watch with um, Charlie Steron that got a lot of crap because the because the whole political aspect of it all, which I, I really didn't. I try when I watch something, I really try to avoid all the, the BS that comes with that. Mm. Um, I saw that last year. I know it came out, what was it, 2018, 2019? Um, it was, yeah. yeah, I thought he was really good in that. And I thought he he made it believable. And it wasn't really kind of, I, I know it sounds, a lot of it was far I know some of it seems like a little far fetched, but, mm. you know, like Fat Guy gets a, a Charlie Steron. I mean, right. the premise has been done over death by Kevin James. Thank you very much. But still, right? Yeah, I thought, you know, like I thought that uh, I thought Seth Rogen pulled it off a little better. But uh, no, I've, Chris- I've always really admired him. I, I just I think that he, yeah, like I said, he's, he's written some movies. That one of my favorite movies ever is a movie from ten years ago, and I can't believe it's been this long now. Called Fifty Fifty with Joseph Gordon Levitt, where Joseph Gordon Levitt plays a guy who has cancer, and yeah. it's it, it's one of those movies that. You know, could have gone so horribly wrong, but those two together, I thought were great. You know, he's he's one of my favorite comedic actor and writers working, and he's he's a good dramatic actor. I thought he was great in the 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 good Steve Jobs movie with Fassbender, where he played Waz. I thought he was excellent in that. So yeah, no, I I, I was I was like was seeing him in movies and seeing what he does. He was in a really really good. I, I don't know if it's uh, well known, like a, a romantic drama comedy called Take This Waltz. 
wow. from like 20, 2011. It was directed by Sarah or written by Sarah Polly too. Um, I'm trying to remember. Sarah Polly was in Go, if you remember that. She's yeah. In, um, she's done like three movies and, and that's it. But this one, yeah, it's it's kind of like about huh. I don't know, just like two uh, like a couple who's married and another couple moves in or whatever. And it's just like these weird. They have these kind of weird relationships with their new neighbors, and I don't know. It's just really really good. But it's not the sort of thing you would picture seeing Seth Rogen in. Yeah, my I would, my favorite, and this is you know this speaks to my comedy sensibilities in fairness, but probably the hardest I've laughed in a movie theater in the last decade was this is the end where they all play themselves in the apocalypse that was sarah yeah with with where they it was it was such a great idea because it was all of these guys like this was when jonah hill was like off a money ball and james franco was like you know uh, he just got nominated i think for like 127 hours like they were all super famous danny mcbride and i just find something so awesome about all these guys playing themselves and joking about themselves and um and I just thought it was awesome. Yeah, and I, I that that's one that's one of my favorite comedies ever. Yeah, there's so many people in that. Jay Baruchel shows up, and like, yeah, he's great. Is Aziz Ansari in that? I think too, or yeah, I mean, there's just so many people. But yeah, I don't know. I I saw that uh, the Sorkin movie, and I enjoyed that a lot. You know, he does he's he's got a, a great way of making uh, you know engaging dialogue where you just keep watching along and i thought sasha baron cohen was really fun as abby hoffman i mean he's like right, a right. foot and a half taller than abby hoffman but it doesn't course, matter yeah. it gets yeah. the gets the spirit of it so, yeah and that was on netflix only if people didn't see it yeah that's a that's a good I, that's a movie that's on my it's about my 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 list my list is like yeah. 80 or 90 movies long and i'm like every time i had it i was been i'm oh there's another documentary like i'm, I'm watching the yeah. the meme the Farrell versus a Woody Allen documentary right now, which has been. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You know, there's, it's weird. Cause there's been a bunch of movies that have come out over the last couple of years that about with heavy subject matter like that. And I acknowledge, I'm sure it's well-made, but after I've, I've seen so many like that, where it's just like, all right, I'm, I might just take this one off. I'm sure it's very good, but yeah, no, I, I don't know if I could bring myself to watch that one. Yeah. I, I and I think of when I watched the never, never leaving, um, or leaving, uh, never finding, yeah. leaving Neverland. That's what, yeah. yeah, that, that one, I, I literally, I, I remember telling Chris after, I, I think we were talking about it before a podcast. I was just like, I, I, I left me it, it, for a couple of days. I didn't just, I didn't watch TV. I was just absorbing that. I'm just like, I can't, it, left, it, it, it messes you up in some way, shape, or form. You just like going, "This actually happened, right?" It's actually anyway, but yeah, that's one of those. Like, I think you're right. I, I, after a while, I think I went back watch Looney Tunes or some cartoon just to kind of <laughs> cleanse my mind of, you know, the kind of yeah. Sometimes a heavy se- subject matter, and that's why when people give sh- crap about Adam Sandler movies and all that, those movies you don't have to think; you just laugh and, and enjoy it. And whether they let you like it or not, it doesn't matter. It's just it does what it's supposed to do, which is. That made you think of what that movie made you think of. Yeah, so. I mean, there's something to be said about escapist cinema. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with with any of that. I mean, like my favorite movie of all time is The Dark Knight, and, and I acknowledge full well it's not Casablanca, and yet I can pop it on at any point in you know th- throughout the year and watch it. So no, I mean, like I get that completely. I mean, it's you, you got to have that balance. Like, like I don't think every movie shouldn't be schindler's list or else people would get depressed and every movie shouldn't be happy gilmore because you know people want want to sink their teeth into something a little bit more serious absolutely so chris yeah. what do you have, oh go ahead chris i'm sorry 
No, I was just saying, you know, I, I like documentaries, but they're sometimes I just don't want to really relive somebody else's misery. All that, you know. Yeah, that's like, I feel the same way with that. Yeah, it's awful. Although I one of, one of my favorite documentaries ever is it's one of the saddest movies I've ever seen called Dear Zachary. I've uh, heard of it. Yeah, it's uh, I heard it was very tough. good. Yeah, yeah, it is really good, but it's uh, it's a tough set. Um, yeah, but one thing I, I did want to track all the way back to the beginning. I don't know if we want to keep on the pop culture stuff, but I did look up over the last three years. There are 431 uh, hitters who've uh, had at least 351 or 350 plate appearances. And Grayson Griner is 426th. I see. So I got it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I just, yeah. I, and again, it's one of those things where I'm at a point now because I've changed my, my, my tone and rhetoric about many of these guys over time. Cause you just, you grow up, but it, it's my, whatever frustration I have with a player like that doesn't fall on the player anymore. Cause like mm-hmm. if, it's the organization's job to put the rest roster on the field. Grayson Griner is not going to wake up one day and be like, you know what guys, I don't think I'm good enough to play in the major leagues. I'll see you later. No, you take the job, you take the job, you hold a bat, you, 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 you know, you wear the catcher's gear and you go to work. But yeah, I mean, that's just like prime example of, you know, kind of what's, what's happened here. And it was, now, Mc, James McCann was not good in 2018 at all. I mean, he had a 500 something OPS. He was, he was his weakest year by far. I, I still probably would have picked up his option uh, or, you know, at least for one more year, but yeah, they cut ties with them, And you know, it's one of those things. So I don't think like people like to do this. I don't think if McCann would have stayed in Detroit, he would have all of a sudden gone back, become an all-star. Like I think he, the, the simply the change of scenery, new hitting coach, I think is what is what fixed him. I don't think the tigers were one or two moves away from turning him into an all-star catcher. Yeah. I agree with that completely. It's just, yeah, because I don't think that there's anybody. If anybody says that, it's just kind of like the Captain Hindsight crap that I can't stand. Of course, it's like they're like, oh, I knew he was going to be good. No, no, you didn't. So stop. Yeah. It's different Here's- with certain players, like not re-signing Scherzer and him becoming, you know, the best pitcher in baseball. That's a little bit more like, okay, there's yeah. a, there was an upward trajectory there that I could understand people being like, you know, we get, you know, they could have they could have made that move, but yeah, I mean, with a guy like that, come on. I mean, he they gave him a lot of chances to prove it, and really in his last. Well, it was his last one of his last years, I guess, 2017, he was getting, you know, he was losing uh, playing time because he was getting beat out by uh, Alex Avila, who was on his second, you know, tenure with the Tigers. So, I mean, they gave him plenty of chances and he didn't, you know, just didn't really prove it. But uh, I was just curious if you guys think you could guess any of the five players who have been worse than Grayson Greider. Um, are any of them catchers? Uh, yes, one of them. Two of them. Mathis. Oh, Mathis. You got he's dead last. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. Um, 27. But this is by WRC plus. He's got a WRC plus of 27. Um, I don't think this guy's had enough at bats, but not Bobby Wilson, is it? No, no, he's not on. He probably hasn't I, had enough. Bats, yeah, right? I didn't think he had enough ABs. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know. I kind of, I kind of want to hear. You got one. That's yeah. Great. I, I, yeah. I'm just curious because. Yeah. Go ahead. So, I feel like there's a way. I feel like there's an infielder in there somewhere. Yep. You got Griner with a 50 WRC plus, but right behind him is Lewis Brinson, 49. Yeah, hasn't Chris quite Davis, 428. Uh, Chris yeah. Davis of the Orioles. Chris Owings, 41, and Sandy Leone, 39. So. Wow. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, especially with um, Brinson right now. I know he started off camp hop, but everybody's like, cool, he breaks, and rightfully so. I mean, it's his third, third team. He was with Texas. Milwaukee yeah. and then the Marlins. Oh yeah. So 
yeah. he needs to get a writer or else they don't. But so, Chris, was, what do you have going? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just I was really high on him too. I remember no, when there were those when there were rumors like 2018 of the Tigers thinking about maybe dealing Fulmer. I remember thinking like, man, Fulmer for Brinson, I take it. So you know, sometimes you hit with guys, sometimes you don't. Yeah, no, and especially with uh, Fulmer at that time, the value would have been higher. And then mm-hmm. can, you were, you mentioned earlier Avila not pulling the trigger and as, as quickly as he moved. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, what do you have coming up that you want to promote? Um, I know you have another lockdown that's coming out tomorrow, correct? Yeah, we got uh, once a week now for the next several weeks. I'm going to be doing crossover episodes with the other lockdown hosts. So tomorrow is going to be the first of a two-parter with Jeff Ellis of locked on Indians talking about where they're at in their rebuild. I've, we talk a little bit about the controversy that went down this week. I spent an entire show talking about the Callaway stuff and what's going on with Frank Conan. I, to be honest, Jeff is a very nice guy. I think he was exhausted talking about it. So I kind of spared him. <laughs> it's weird. I don't, this is the first time I think some an Indians fan would rather talk about trading Francisco Lindor. Like they, <laughs> usually they, would, they would prefer to avoid that, but no, we, we discussed that and kind of their kind of in between situation. Are they, are they hitting reset? What are they doing? And yeah, you, so you can find that podcast wherever podcasts can be found. Apple podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, you can you can rate me on on iTunes as well, and I have my personal account at Castellani twenty fourteen. I'll be you know, coming back to Twitter here at some point, probably the closer we get to baseball season. And there, uh, you'll find the link to my YouTube page where I've been reviewing movies just for fun. But you're welcome to go subscribe, like, comment on those videos. Let me know what you thought of them. So I'd appreciate uh, follow me on all those platforms. Cool, and we'll uh, we'll definitely put some links on the YouTube and Locked On Tigers as well. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time this evening yeah. to join us. I, this was just a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, I'm glad that we're able to ha- have this conversation. No, I appreciate, it, man. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Anytime, Chris. Uh, let me see yep. this here. Let's see.